The dinner table fell silent. The laughter stopped. Only the sound of Christmas carols remained, a gentle rendition of a silent night type song. I looked down at my father's hand, still gripping his end of the Christmas cracker he'd won seconds earlier. My gaze floated up from there to focus on the other thing. The sight that had silenced the whole family. The small tangle of wires that emerged from my father's shirt sleeve, snaking around his wrist. For as long as I can remember, my father has always won every single Christmas cracker he's competed for. We used to sing a song as kids, there wasn't much to it. Daddy always wins were the main words, but we loved singing it over and over again. Every now and then he'd join in just for a few lines and I can remember feeling proud of my father, so proud to be his son. Back then we put his wins down to his superior strength and as the years went by and his strength deteriorated while ours grew, we put his continued streak down to the guile of old age, some sort of elder technique that we someday would also master. After that we put it down to freak coincidence, an unbelievable run of sheer blind luck. It became a beloved family joke. Your father's crazy luck with the crackers. Our mother used to laugh, shaking her head with a loving gaze while he quietly smiled at another win, another colourful paper hat, another tiny plastic false moustache. But now, as I stared at that tangle of wires emerging from his long-sleeved shirt, I knew that my father was not the man I had thought he was. I didn't yet know the explanation, but I know foul play when I see it. My father was also staring at the wires, distraught, and my mother was the first to speak. Ian, what are those wires? He kept his gaze rooted to the middle of the table, fixed on the turkey or the stuffing, it was hard to tell which. He opened his mouth slightly but no words came out, just a quiet, low groan, a noise of despair. Ian, the wires. I've never seen those before, what are they for? My father was still gripping his end of the cracker, so tight in fact that his knuckles had turned white. Then, suddenly, the open end of the cracker drooped down towards the table and a set of tiny screwdrivers tumbled out and landed in a small pool of gravy. What are they for, Ian? I assumed my mother was still referring to the wires and not the tiny screwdrivers, which are obviously for the driving tiny screws. Yeah, Dad, what are they for? My younger brother now, more hot-headed and coming in strong. I turned and saw the look of hurt and confusion in his eyes, and then I scanned the table and saw that everyone had it, that same look, a look that foretold the unravelling of a family. My father finally looked up and turned his tearful eyes to my mother. He'd begun to shake. Little convulsions of emotion and regret the crackers, he said, his voice breaking. There was a pause, a silence. My mother broke it. Ian, what on earth are you talking If, if the crackers, my dad again. It's, so I win the cracker. The wires, they, they generate an electromagnetic current. My grandmother let out a gasp. My mother's mother. I told you he was bad news, Rebecca. I always knew he'd end up doing something like this. My brother seemed to be blinking back hot tears, 
anger vying with anguish. Why, Dad? Why would you do this? They don't even matter. It's just a fucking Christmas cracker. Why would you do this? He pointed accusingly at the wires, bristling out of the shirt sleeve. I wanted to understand the nature of the deceit, the elaborate sham that my father had engineered for years, for every Christmas that I could remember. He continued his explanation unprompted, the words coming thick and fast now that the plaster of initial confession had been ripped off. I, I always buy the crackers, you see. I always buy them, and I lace them with tiny threads of magnetic wire. Every Christmas Eve I do it, I used to do it while your mother filled your Christmas stockings. I'd go down to the shed and prepare my crackers just right. Then, every Christmas morning, I'd put on my own wires before I put on my Sunday best. And just before lunch, I'd flick the switch. The current comes on, and I... I always win. He was slumped in his chair now. He had a Christmas hat on, thin yellow tissue paper slightly ripped at the front. Ian. I could tell that my mother was shocked, perhaps even a little disgusted. Ian, how could you do something like this to our family? We don't have many traditions or long-running in-jokes in this house, but I thought, I thought I could believe in this one. I thought I could believe in you. While she spoke, my father had got up to fetch his box of cigars another Christmas staple. He lit one now and put it to his lips, gazing into the middle distance with eyes that stared blankly. Remorse? There had been some before, but now it was hard to discern any at all. A strange defiance had taken over. He had rolled up his shirt sleeves, revealing more of the wiring that snaked up both forearms, presumably in case he was challenged to a cracker pull on his non-dominant hand. My brother had his head in his hands. I could hear sobbing. I turned to my mother, who, despite the oppressive heat of the dining room, had gone deathly pale. Her eyes were locked onto my father, while her right hand clenched and unclenched around something. It was the wishbone from the turkey. The slightly larger, winning side of the wishbone, to be precise. In that moment of screaming silence, it dawned on me that she did tend to come away with that side of the bone. Tended to come away with it, almost without fail, actually. Before the pulling of the wishbone, she was always very careful about some detail of the act, sometimes spinning the bone before the competition could begin. It was a care that I'd always put down to my mother's fastidious manner. She'd always lock the car twice or check the oven was off before bed. But now, under the light cast by my father's betrayal, surely not. Um, Mum, I began, breaking the silence and causing her to jump a bit. How is it that you always win the wishbone? Luck, came her curt reply. Almost before I'd finished the question, my brother lifted his head, revealing bloodshot eyes and a face that shone with tear tracks. I regretted opening this new can of worms in front of him and forcing him to share in its increasingly slimy contents, but it was, it was too late. My father was next to speak, committing himself to a road of mutual destruction. Yes, Rebecca, how do you win the wishbone every single year? If I didn't know any better, I'd say you doctored the turkey. turkey. My mother finished his sentence, 
her eyes rolling upwards, an expression that seemed to signify acceptance. Then her mouth opened, and for the second time in the same post-lunch seating, a devastating plot was revealed to all. As you know, I pre-order and pre-select our turkey every year from a rearing farm in West Dorset. I visit your Aunt Helen while I'm down there, so I can- Kill two birds with one stone, yeah, we've heard it before. My brother interjected, still clearly fuming. But my mother ignored him and continued her confession, which came out in a listless monotone. I choose our turkey when it's barely a week old. I slip the farmer a cash incentive and a sob story about my son's crippling PH sensitivity, so he'll rear it on nothing but my special feed. Jesus Christ, Mum, that's insane! I couldn't help but blurt out. My grandmother tutted at me. A woman of religious principle, not the sort to be backwards or overly conservative, but the sort who's always lived by a code of morality, of right and wrong, of not taking the Lord's name in vain. I noticed that my father was nodding in loving admiration while my mother's explanation unraveled, a deceit perhaps even more elaborate than his own. As she went on, her tone grew in excitement, just as my father's had. Like so many Bond villains, my mother was seemingly eager to explain her genius. The special feed causes the young turkey's brain to develop more, more motor functionality on the right-hand side than the left, which means it becomes right-handed or right-footed, flapping and walking or gobbling, I don't know, more often and more heavily on its right-hand side. At this point, she paused and took a long, inward breath, still toying with her winning side of the wishbone. Basically, the turkey grows up to be lopsided and needs to be much stronger on its right-hand side than its left. That means stronger muscles and stronger bones. It was my father's turn to finish a sentence, and he could barely contain his glee. Or maybe it was pride. Either way, he was no longer alone in his guilt. Now he had my mother, who looked deflated, her righteousness completely undermined. Next to me, my brother's head dipped back into his hands, but there was no sobbing this time, only defeated silence. For as long as I can remember, my mother has made the trip down to West Dorset two or three times a year. The first trip, usually taken in June, was to pick the turkey and visit our Aunt Helen. The second and less guaranteed third trips were explained as being further visits to dear Aunt Helen, who I now realised I'd never actually met. Looking at my mother, I could see she knew what I was thinking. I tested the waters by asking my grandmother, Grandma, do you have another daughter? Clearly, she had been having similar thoughts to mine. No, no I don't, she said. Only your mother. I always thought Helen was your father's sister. I don't have any sisters, said my father. Only four brothers, which is why I'm so competitive with the crackers. So really, it's not my fault. Yeah, we're done with that now, Dad. Again, my brother had managed to pull his head up. He always had been resilient, a trait I'd admired in him for well, his whole life, really, be it the hopeless effort of garden football, wrestling against a much larger, older brother in me, or the video games of our adolescence. We're talking about how our Aunt Helen doesn't actually exist. Probably. My grandmother had her hand over her mouth, eyes wide behind her glasses. Her daughter, my mother, was next to speak, and it was barely audible. 
I need to check on the turkey. What? I asked. We had just eaten it, for one thing. The turkey. I need to go and check on it. Once at 10 weeks old, and then, depending on how it's developing, again at 17 weeks old. Aunt Helen's birthday, and just before Christmas? Yes, my mum replied. The presents I take are the turkey's new feed formula. Her eyes were firmly locked onto her empty plate. You seriously wrap up the turkey's feed formula like a present, ribbons and all. Jesus I caught my grandmother's eye and stopped myself just in time. Well, how else could I get it out of the house unnoticed? My father had now removed his paper crown and was absentmindedly tearing it into tiny fragments which he then dropped into the gravy and cranberry sauce that remained on his plate. Why, mum? came my brother's hushed voice. The effort. Travelling. Research. Lying. You don't even win anything with the wishbone. Her eyes remained on the plate in front of her. Wait, I began. So, Aunt Helen isn't real. Just so I'm clear. No, she doesn't exist, numbskull. Her eyes shot up to meet mine momentarily before dropping again. She never has. My brother's head dropped again, but this time his hands didn't cushion its fall, and his forehead slammed loudly into the table, jangling cutlery and jiggling leftover mounds of overly congealed bread sauce. I turned to my grandmother, a strong character, a figure of reconciliation. She'd always fought for the unity of the family above all else, despite her obvious misgivings about my father. I could see now that she felt called upon, as if it was somehow her duty to salvage the day and to re-inject some trust and some togetherness into the family. The smell of Christmas pudding was wafting into the room. She jumped up and left to fetch it, promising that it would cheer us up. She wasn't gone for long, soon re-entering with her prized Christmas pudding held aloft, smelling strongly of brandy and whatever other spirit it was that she chose to soak it in. Just in time for the queen, she cried. Always my grandmother's favourite part of the day. With any luck, she'll have some lessons on the importance of truth, openness, and mutual respect to give to the two of you. Rebecca, to be frank, I'm shocked at you. Ian, I know we've always had our differences. Politics? Butter? But... This is really quite another matter. Unaffected, smirking even, my father got up from the table, wires dangling carelessly by his side, and made his way over to his favourite armchair in front of the TV. My mother joined him shortly afterwards on the sofa. They were made for each other. My brother and I took our seats on the sofa as well, as our grandmother set down a slice of pudding in front of each of us. A dejected mood reigned, an air of mistrust, despite her best efforts. My father was flicking down the channels, down to BBC One, where the Queen was about to begin. Like I said, this is always my grandmother's favourite part of the day. It's her tradition, having the family together to watch the Queen. Normally we all doze off, probably because of the heavy lunch and the monarch's dulcet tones. Gran's always there when we wake up, all groggy and slightly headachy, you know how it is. You missed a good one, she'll say, one of her best, before popping the kettle on. When I say normally we all doze off, I suppose what I really mean is always, I realised as I took and swallowed my first bite of pudding. 
it's almost a tradition in itself. But then the Queen began to speak, the usual stuff really, all about togetherness and adversity, the importance of family, the importance of her family that is, as we all sat quietly lifting spoons to mouths. It must have been about five or six mouthfuls in that I began to feel soporific. I looked around and could see that they all were the the same. Through half-shut eyes, I could see my mother and father were already gently snoring, empty pudding plates sitting precariously on their laps, particularly ravenous after their deceptive exertions. I wanted to get up to go to the loo, but suddenly realised that my legs felt like lead. I couldn't even summon the strength to turn my head. Was it the lunch? Or the red wine, maybe? In my peripheral vision, I could see that my grandmother had also finished her slice of pudding, but had now got up, maybe to go and fetch another slice. She was clearly feeling less drowsy than the rest of us. But how? She'd eaten just as much, if not more than me, down to the last crumb of pudding. She kept saying how she needed to keep her strength up to get through Christmas. It was just one of her weary jokes. I could... I... I could hear my brother snoring next to me now, but I couldn't move my head to see him, and my peripheral vision didn't quite have him in the picture. Just as I was about to give in to the encroaching embrace of sleep, the creaking sound drew my eyes sharply to the right. My grandmother had come back into the room, wheeling what appeared to be a hospital trolley in front of her. Where on earth had it come from? She had a look of grim, clinical efficiency about her. Her eyes were stony above a medical mask. As she pushed the trolley past my line of sight, I could, I could just about see what it was carrying. Four identical syringes, each containing a bright orange substance. Suddenly I got a sharp sense of deja vu, almost agonizing in its realness. I had seen this before. I was sure of it. I'd seen it last Christmas, hadn't I? And the one before that, and could it be possible? The one before that? My eyes were still drooping. I couldn't fight it off much longer. But as my consciousness slowly faded, I realized that my grandmother was always the one that cut the Christmas pudding. She always does it with the same knife that she's had for years. A knife that's been sharpened so many times that the blade must be half gone by now, scraped into non-existence. And for as long as I can remember, my grandmother has always got the slice of, of pudding that, that contains the pound and corn.